0: Welcome to the Constructed Futures podcast with Hugh Seaton. Today I'm joined by Damon Hernandez, founder of the AEC Hackathon, advisor to construction technology companies, and a real thought leader in construction technology overall. Damon, welcome to the podcast.
1: Yeah, well, First of all, uh, thank you, Hugh, uh, for having me and uh, look forward to having a, a good time and a, and a nice chat. So a little bit about myself. Um, so my uh, passion and interest and background lie really around Interactive 3D and web is the delivery platform, and so um, over the twenty some odd, uh well, twenty actually uh, years that I've been in this, uh, I really have been focused on enterprise and, and less of the uh, gaming and entertainment verticals. And being a big advocate for uh, standards of many different industries, um, I've been able to you know touch into uh, construction and uh, healthcare and a variety of different. Um, industries where 3D data and the use of it is growing and its importance. So, so that's that, the
0: big thing here is is, yeah. is 3D data, yeah.
1: Yeah, and really, you know, how um, can we use that 3D data uh, to to complement uh, the you know right now way way more two dimensional data out there, right? So so how can we bring those uh, two types of data uh, sets together uh, to help people better understand you know all kinds of things really.
0: Well, when you say three D data, what do you what do you mean by that?
1: Yeah, usually the representation of of a of a real world asset, place, or person. So, depending upon the industry, you know, so this could be everything from if you're working in aerospace to you know a jet engine or the whole plane. Uh, healthcare, it could be your you know MRI scan or, or the volumetric uh, you know of, of yourself. Uh, that you can get um, or, you know, with buildings and construction, everything from the design up to manufacturing models. So.
0: So it's kind of like the world as data, right? Whether it's people, places, things. Yeah.
1: It's, it's our, it's our digital shadow, right? It's our digital um, twin for every asset person or place. Yeah.
0: And so what, tell me about where, how this got started with you.
1: Um, Yeah. So back in, I think a 2000, You know, I was in my mid-20s and just kind of did some soul searching as far as what I really wanted to do and landed on this idea. One of uh, the immediate was um, kind of immersive technologies for education, uh, given the fact that both of my parents were teachers. But the interest for me really came around this idea of, um, you know, what if we could take, I mean, at the time it wasn't this, but, you know, for now, uh, PlayStation 5 and kind of put that together with Google Earth. And and so if you had, you know, this this the 3D world part of World Wide Web. And, and so those two things, uh, one, of course, being a much long-term vision, but uh, that's what kind of got me into the whole world of um, Web 3D and then the focus really on our, our mirrored world or digital twin.
0: So when you say PlayStation 5, what 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 do you mean? The ability to walk around and do stuff? Or what what what, yeah, what, what does that exactly. bring that you're excited about?
1: Yeah, I think it's the it's it's two parts mainly. It's the level of interactivity for me and and then the the graphical quality. Uh, so it's it's there now of course there's the multi-user component and things like that uh, as as well. But for me back then, it really was uh, about saying, how could you take the latest and interactive 3D technology, which usually is being pushed by entertainment and gaming, and and then how can you bring that to, um, you know, just, again, uh, a way of of simulating the real world, and and, and not just for entertainment and gaming, which, of course, you could use it for that, but for all the other data that exists and and being able to understand that, that data in context and its location, uh, to help us, you know, essentially ask better questions, right, make better decisions.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, it, the digital twin thing has gotten a lot of press lately. Um, and the reality is GE was doing it around the time that you were thinking about it in, in different terms, right. you know what I mean? Like, I think I don't know if GE came up with the idea, um, but certainly what they've done with jet engines is is one of those examples everybody uses for what a digital twin is, right, where they've just loaded it up with sensors so the model they have back in, connecticut or wherever it is is a good is a running replica of the thing that's you know flying over the atlantic yeah is that the kind of idea you're thinking of well and and and, to a degree yeah
1: you know i think i think the for for me it's more about the representation of just the, the asset itself right it's the more you can connect it to the real time for for that loop so that way how where is this, how is it operating, and what is it doing in the real world? And then displaying that in real time or being able, with the proper permissions, to access the archival data around that. So um, I I used to use the term kind of mixed reality because it was taking real world and bringing it in with digital. Um, But then, you know, Microsoft and their HoloLens marketing campaign kind of uh, by the popular masses kind of took that into a different direction. But, um, But yeah, this loop of not just, okay, here's this digital representation, which is nice, but here, here's what it's doing you know, in the real world right now and what yeah, it's done.
0: So uh, this is my opportunity to plug the AEC hackathon. So one of the things that the, – actually, the way I met you was when you guys kicked off the first AEC hackathon in 2013, and that was really about bringing the AEC world together with, the, honestly, the valley, Silicon Valley, um, at least conceptually. But I remember that this sort of thing was, was heavily wo- woven through that, right? You had people from the Naval College, or it wasn't Naval College, but one of those, some Naval Laboratory, and you had people from IEEE, and you had all sorts of folks. And there was a heavy focus on 3D. In fact, as I recall, we had a 3D LiDAR scanner in there that, that, was, that made some incredible model of the room and various other things. How have those two kind of worked together for you?
1: Um, just the interest around uh, digital worlds and the AEC hackathon together.
0: Yeah, and uh, I, I mean, I, I remember a couple of really uh, well, a bunch of really good um, uh, projects have have kind of come out of that. Yeah. You at, so, so, so that you know, along the way, you also have been working at Samsung for three ish years um, until quite recently. When you were there, you know, talk a little bit about how some of the peripherals and, and you know that kind of opened up. It seemed a whole new. Only way of thinking about this. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So um, I guess I'll start with the first part of that question and then work up to, to the second question. So the seeing the merger of these two things. So yeah, when the AEC hackathon started, uh, there were the challenges around best open, you know, uh, s- source or, or open standard slash source stack and and we had some challenges that we're trying to promote. How could you take everything from geospatial data to city data to building data to object data and bring it all into one web-based scene? And and to see then, um, while there was focus on, on that, I think that it's still a little bit too far down the road for where the actual industry was in 2013 to actually implement that, right? I mean, times are different now, of course, but but back then, uh, at least here in the U.S., where we had the first one, the, the industry was really just still trying to find what's the value of a 3D building, let alone thinking of, you know, how do we do this to a whole city or kind of world scale? So uh, it, it has been nice for me because I'm able to still follow that passion. And over the years, I've seen where folks are, are chopping it up into smaller bits. So they might do, um, you know, of course, there's the growing Uh, demand for doing three-dimensional models and and increasing more of that in the the building information modeling process but i think that that the hacks around that and then with places like uh, helsinki and what they're doing with their 3d uh, city models and and others uh, the city of stanford uh, Connecticut, where you are, um, you know, it's it's really interesting to see how over the years and how through the hackathons and then as people embrace not just 3D buildings, but also 3D uh, city models, how those things are starting to merge and how also then industries that complement but aren't directly involved uh, per se with the built environment are also helping accelerate this. So, for example, you know, like with the uh, VR, AR, or let's just call it XR community, um, you know, you have the, the push around spatial computing and then, you know, uh, essentially 3D scanning and mapping to store that for using it for AR, um, augmented reality experiences, uh, spatial anchors, this type of thing. So I think there's there's now more than just the same usual suspects of the spar 3Ds or the laser scanning, you know, folks and that kind of thing or geospatial, uh, you know, junkies kind of doing this idea of a 3d world it's happening in many different ways and and now what i hope with the hackathon is is that we can find a way of kind of bringing those folks together right as we see the people who are interested more on the the stage the digital built environment side of it um how we can use the hackathon to bring those things together and and then once we have that the the next thing that's important, um, really, and 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 I feel the most important. and This came from a hackathon, and what led me to uh, really pursue uh, the opportunity at Samsung was looking at the securities that's around accessing this information. You know, I there there's a lot of emphasis and excitement, um, which is great around, you know, digital twins and visualize the whole model and, and let's connect the model up to sensors so we can have, you know, one way control or bi-directional control. But, but to be able to do that securely and safely is, 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 is the, the, the most important, uh, I feel.
0: Wasn't that something you, you told me a story about that, that you, weren't you in the UK and someone from yeah. Someone who knows a little bit about security said, "You realize that that you know all these models you guys are pushing and, and pushing to get made, you know, aren't aren't innocent,
1: right? And and you know if if you're not careful with how they're shown, where they go, and 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 how they're uh, visualized, so so exactly that that was kind of a changing point uh, for my career. Um, I'm sure you know other folks have had that as well." you know, we go into a presentation and kind of expecting to be educated and informed, but not realizing that it's, you're going to walk out of there. Uh, and, and for me, it, it really changed the path of my career because, uh, up until that point for, I mean, crap, that was like 2014 or something, but you know, there, I, I had spent 14, 15 years, not even thinking about, uh, the ramifications and, and what was possible for people who, who wanted to access that data that, that maybe you know didn't have the best of intentions in mind. So, um, so yeah. So somebody from the you know uh, essentially Mi Five came in and shared with us you know um, just some things that they had observed uh, with building industry data, and and it was just really eye opening. I, I you know don't want to share here for the sake of it being the same security risk as the guy was kind of sharing with us in this very closed room. Um, but but with that said, uh, it, it, it did bring the awareness that I don't hear the conversation enough as far as, uh, you know, security and well, that, permissions.
0: That's the bigger point, right? I mean, the specifics of what the guy six years ago had a problem with isn't so important. I think, right. Is as the, as the idea that one of the things that slows down the adoption of this sort of thing is the people that build it. Don't always think about the security implications as well as others. As, I mean, you know, as well as, you know what? What is what is three D data going to do for some jobs or some ways of doing things or some you know existing processes? Just like anything else, it's it's there's resistance, and the more you're able to think about some of the reasons for that resistance, the more you're able to kind of move forward more. You know, with a, at least a little quicker. Right. Yeah. So at Samsung, you you focused on on. On uh, security, but you also did a lot with with peripherals, right? I mean, certainly with their kind of little universe of, of connected devices.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, you know, uh, for, for clarity, I was on the web platform team. And so my, my personal interests and, and then just what the browser offered, which was different than Chrome or these others was, was the security and, and, you know, and just a, a a quick shout out and plug to those folks, but, you know, understanding how the sausage is made, so to speak for those that are more security minded, I definitely suggest, you know, Apple or, or Samsung is good devices. Um, you know, and then the browsers, uh, on on either, because that was the thing. Right, is even though I was on the web platform team, I was looking at enterprise for the use cases and and how we can add, of course, the latest for you know web specs, you know, and and things that are being developed. Everything from you know web payments API, the credential management API, uh, which you know allows for biometrics, and then of course payments, but then also looking at the VR and AR components of it, and so. Um, you know again, for me, that's what was exciting is it was being able to take all the different elements of what the web allows us to do, right um, from from security to IOT to everything and and see how can we really bring that together to make of course the browser better as a team. But then my interest in, and um, you know passion while there really was about you know how to make these secure, uh, experiences, visualizing 2d and 3d data. And then to what you brought up, how to make that as, as a multi-device experience. Uh, cause that's not something that I see enough of now, but it is the direction that we're going because we've seen it in sci-fi, right? We've all seen it in sci-fi where someone, you know, some movie where someone walks in with their phone and then make some simple gesture from their phone, like a flick, to then put something up on their TV and then maybe put on, you know, some AR glasses and pull that out of the TV and then set it on the ground in front of them, but then maybe use their watch to play with some additional parameters or something like that. So when I was at Samsung who has such a great ecosystem of different products and especially for, for me, you know, I I'm on the browser team and here we have a web browser on a phone, a tablet, uh, the, the gear VR headset, um, you know, the, the other VR headsets the, the, the televisions, the watch and, and a refrigerator even. And, and so for, uh, as a, as a designer of these types of, of web-based and immersive applications, it was really neat to be able to think of how an experience, not, not the traditional, this is how the experience is going to look on a phone, on a tablet, on a, you know, VR headset. It's more of, this is the experience and depending upon the peripheral you sync with the experience your experience is going to change it's going to modify and and then being able to then connect to the smart systems or smart things then it was about how could i make my actual physical space respond to the experience or the environment for true levels of immersion not just i have a screen slapped in front of my face right
0: so this is you saying that that when you think of 3d 3d data you know there's there's people will immediately think of, well, you can make a model of a thing and that's great. What does it do? What I'm hearing you talk about is, is really the beginnings of what that means when you have them is when you're walking through a building or a room that, that has it, that is modeled in, in a, you know, in a full sort of digital twin 3d 3d data sort of way, it allows you to, to interact with it much more richly.
1: Mm. Exactly.
0: Kind of where where your head is going.
1: Well, exactly. Right. I mean, you know, we're, we're three dimensional beings. And, and so if we have the opportunity to learn things in a very uh, constructivist, you know, kind of learning methodology type of way, experiential learning, why, why not? Right. That's, that's how we're, we're made. And so that is, is the first part of it is the visualization of saying, okay, I have a sense of presence. I'm here. Now what? And that's where, for me, I like to, to go further because um, the visualization is nice, as I said, but it's not enough. It's not enough usually to add the max value that I like to go for. I like to be able to say, all right, here's the 3D data, but then here's all the two-dimensional data that, that is associated with whatever point of this 3D environment that it, that it needs to be, right? Um, and, and so now you have visualization. You have interaction for more information, which is usually, you know, uh, well, it could be static or dynamic. and, and but, but then the, the, the next step after that, I feel, is about then the, okay, well, if that real-world object or if that 3D model that, that I'm looking at right now is censored or hooked up or something like that, and of course, back to the permissions, and I have the proper permissions to access that. Um, now it's, it's kind of about just not, not just the visualization of the object information about the object. It's now about what's happening with the object. What is the history, the future, or what is the history and present of the object? And then you can run simulations on a potential future of the object. So, um, so that's why I kind of push when I see these folks that are doing, you know, forms of, of interactive 3d or visualization and, uh, you know, any, any form. Uh, and, and, and I, Ask people to please don't get caught up on how you view the 3d data right because um, that is not you as important. well I, I think that that too many people see the the, the way that someone is going to interact with the data and they get caught up on the tool right so for example we saw this in VR we saw that when VR came out uh, for the the most recent wave of, of interest through the oculus uh, dev kit right you know uh, about six years ago or whatnot that that the interactive 3d focus was let's make vr and it's like well okay that's now you're getting caught up in how i'm viewing the data you're not thinking about the experience you're not thinking about the value add as much of where does having interactive 3d that i can interact with in a vr environment right you know add value. It's more of, let's just do the VR because that's cool. And it does these things and, or let's do AR or let's, and, and so that's what I mean by that is too many people are getting excited about how the information is getting accessed when, when at the end of the day, um, most people don't care. I feel, you know, I mean, I've been in this space for a long time and, and I see more people saying, I'm going to put that on my head because it adds value to what I'm doing um, that that aren't you know the converted to the technology and and I think that's where we're at, at greater adoption of the technology than when it's just the diehards and the geeks that are developing for the tech uh, that are saying hey you need to wear this all day
0: long right well it's um, a much more no, no, ironically it's a much more surface level view right is if you're saying but well, it's about AR or it's about VR or it's about on a you know video screen or it's about on whatever the thing is. They're missing the point, right? The, the exactly. point is, is what you're representing and what you're, you know, you, what building or what room or what what experience you're recreating or you're re- representing, not necessarily the viewer you're using for it, right?
1: What's the user experience, not the hardware? Yeah. What's the problem you're solving, not the cool well, also, factor?
0: Also, what you were talking about earlier with with Samsung, I thought was kind of interesting too, right? Is that depending on what you want to do, you might choose to to interact with a with a again with a with a building or a room or whatever in different ways mm-hmm. if, you, if you're talking about being in it and rep- and seeing it and, and operating and doing things you may need to be in a vr or a really pretty badass ar but if you just want to know some telemetry you want to know some data about it nothing wrong with a watch
1: exactly exactly and that's and that's the the thing that it's it's the right device for for the right experience and 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 i would often well i often encourage people at least in the enterprise sectors right um don't build a vr ar application right um build a vr or ar features to your application uh because there's more than enough data out there that shows where these these immersive technologies do add value so i'm 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 all for you know, put it as a feature everywhere. It makes sense. But, but the, but the reality of where we are now, especially with a lot of uh, these more traditional industries is that it has to be mobile first. You know, everyone understands their mobile phone. So go mobile first and then, and then scale as appropriate from there because much to your point um, you know, sometimes I only need uh, the quick flip it out of my you know pocket or look down at my wrist. Okay. I got the information I need let me move on. Or sometimes it can, and and that's where, that's the beauty of the the web and others is, or it scales to, well, I don't quite have it this way. Let me fully immerse myself or, you know, augment the reality to, to, to get it, to better understand it. Right. And, and so scale as, as needed.
0: That's, that's really interesting. Um, So what are, what are some examples of, of, uh, of you know, 3D, 3D data that, that you've really you, you worked on or seen or, you know, that you think are, are, are examples of, of how good it can get now?
1: Um, yeah, well, I, I think that the time I've spent with, uh, I think, mainly manufacturers and fabricators, uh, to me personally, that really is uh, the best data outside of um, object uh, CAD data you know um
0: so what then, are they what are they doing that's so good what's that look like well it, get, well, get it as has concrete to be, as we can
1: yeah yeah sure so so for example like when um the first time i really started looking at uh manufacturing data was coming from uh timber fabricators and and a great operation uh, cut my timbers out of the pacific northwest and and that was my entry into uh construction and aec back in 2007 and what i saw there was, um, you know, kind of, again, it was everything dimensionally accurate, uh, every hole, beam nail, you know, that you could think of, cause that was the information that was going directly to the, you know, different, uh, computer numeric controls, CNC machines and other to, to fabricate those components, right. Through subtractive so this is fabrication. A, this is a
0: model. This isn't, let me just cut in. This is a model of a house, right. That's, that's so detailed down to the down to where you cut the wood and where you drill the holes. Is that right?
1: Correct. And, and, and because that, that wood is getting cut and those those holes are being drilled by machines. And so it all has to be accurate. And, and so for me, it was kind of neat because then when usually the process of, of, you know, interaction, right? You have someone who models the, the, the asset or the object or whatever it is. Somehow you acquired the data through a scan, modeling, whatever. But you have this 3D asset. And, and then when you want to add interactivity to it, um, you know, that's what comes in the data. Is it just a bunch of points, right? Is it just a bunch of triangles? Um, or is there additional data in that file? Animations, um, meta tags, other additional information that you can use to, to add, you know, value for applications and whatnot. And so for me, it was one, it was the fact that this data was accurate. Um, if it said it was three and a half, you know, uh, feet, it was three and a half feet in real life. And and so that's the closest you're going to get to a digital twin, right, is when you're using the bits of the computer and what's being modeled to turn into atoms, in a way. Wow. So that's,
0: that's the opposite of how it normally works, right? Usually it's, you've created something and then you make a model of it and put some sensors in it and say, all right, we've got ourselves a twin, but you're saying it's the other way around is we're designing it and then making it exactly to that design.
1: And, and right. And so that at least is how I came into it, looking at it from, you know, new, new assets, not existing, you know, um, construction, but uh you know beforehand so so that was stop
0: for a minute damon yeah i'm I'm sorry but but uh what does that do so let's say you you've done that you've gone and you've designed a big home and obviously it's not a you know small little you know two-bedroom home it's a it's something with some heft to it Mm -hmm. you've designed this and then what happens like what's the what's the what's the point of doing that, what what's the what winds up happening later? Like so, I've designed it and I, I hand it off to the guys with the with the laser cutters and the the whizzy CNC machines. What happens?
1: Well, yeah. So um, so so just so some clarification there. So the the people who, at least for us, were modeling these were you know uh, timber engineers and other, and so they really understood building they model these things because they've run those machines and these machines aren't your, you know, fab lab kind of laser cutters or, you know, table saw kind of thing. These are Hundiger Weinmann Weinman line that are very prevalent in Germany and Switzerland. And these are huge machines, right. Um, you know, quarter million and up. So uh, much different than the, the type that you get or you see with things like wiki house or, or others that are done, you know, like kind of these backyard cottages, So, one, the the scale of the machines is differently, but with that data, um, you know, that data that's generated in those computer-aided manufacturing software, that has, you know, at least in, like, the the program that uh, our timber engineers were working with, you know, any piece of wood had at least 40-plus different um you know data points on it everything from the time it was fabricated to you know its part number uh, how long it took you know uh, just so many different fields right and so when when you're having that data come across then it was like okay the the fun was looking at the people in the different part of the process that worked with our data somewhere so for it was either the fabricators and 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 the Uh, factory or the builders out on the job site or someone and said, okay, we have this 3d model. Here's these, you know, just for the sake of this, uh, hypothesis, 20, 20 different data points, right. On, on this information. Well, these five can be used to help the guys on site, right? These five can be used to help the homeowner. And, and, you know, and so for then it was kind of chopping it up to see from this data that was embedded in this three dimensional model, where, as it made sense, could we show that information to the different stakeholders um, in the process? And again, this this goes back to permissions and task relevant, right? Because you just don't want to say, "Here's all the information," because the person may not need that, right? And so, so that um, went to you know, for us, it was constantly this back and forth between the fabrication folks that were generating the the data. And the people that were adding the interaction layer, right, all the way down at the end user level and and being able to have this conversation of saying, hey, can you structure your information in this way? Because the app that we're going to use for, you know, person A, person further in the process B, and then person at the end of the process C, you know, we're trying to do this. And and that's what was neat is is with small teams, it was able to kind of create this great process and pipeline.
0: Yeah, and the pipeline wound up though, and the kind of the point I was getting at, and I'm obviously being leading you along here a little bit, but um, is that that you know the point of of modeling and the point of the three D three D data was to take a, a house design and then make it way faster, way better, way you know, way you know, much more cheap. I don't know if you want to say way cheaper, but but it was a, it was a much more efficient way. And in some cases, you, as, I, as I understand from some of the projects that, that you've been involved in, and, and Stefan and some of your other friends have, or colleagues have, have done, some some houses that would have been difficult to do any other way, certain pieces of it anyway.
1: Uh, exactly, and and so that was that was the the things that I learned because where I grew up in the south of the U.S. and and in Texas, you know, homes are, are built very differently than than what I was seeing uh, with you know one the the advanced. Um, you know, manufacturing and and then being able to, yeah, create it digitally. Right. I mean, that that the, the power of being able to show um, a homeowner or at least have the ability to show a homeowner exactly what their house is going to cost. Right. At least what we could deliver. And and then, you know, depending upon and be right. Yeah. Well, 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 and be accurate. That was the thing, right? Is when, when someone tells you in the construction, you know, Hey, how did I do on, on this job? And they tell you time and time again, you came in on time and on budget. That means so much to that industry. Uh, and for those who are in that know what that means. And I, and I've pulled hundreds of people over the years, uh, you know, when I speak, you know, how many people in here have had, uh, you know, done a a new home project or a remodel. Hold up your hands now. Keep your hands up if that came in on time and on budget. And I kid with you not when I say out of hundreds of people that I've asked of that, less than twenty kept their hands up. Yeah. And then, and then when I went out and talked to them, it was either because they were the the general contractor or a relative, or in some cases, you know, they just had somebody who was on the up and up and, and, and had it done. But but for us, it was and for my learning, it was like okay, well, wow, I can show this homeowner exactly how many linear board feet are in their house, how much their house is going to fricking weigh from at least what we're going to put into it. Um, you know, uh, how fast we can manufacture those different components. What's the schedule optimize those different things for the shipping and the trucking schedule, because, and that's not me, this was the, the, the guys in the factory were awesome about that and still are. And, and then, and then take on additional elements that even as timber fabricators, Weren't what we did, but we figured, hey, if we can show you your house, there were enough even at those times, um, you know, Google SketchUp Warehouse and and some of these other uh, libraries out there of assets to where we could then populate that space. And then in some cases, we did build configurators that would allow people to, you know, select um, you know, from, well, once they had their home, be able to go in and make selections of different appliances and paints and choices and all of these types of things. And we have some of this uh, on our YouTube channel still of the uh, idea builder homes uh, that one can go see of some of these projects we made, I mean, you know, anywhere from eight to 13 years ago uh, using these types of technologies. And and so, um, so that's what was great about it. Really Hugh was, was the ability to give the homeowner a, what you see is what you get experience for the biggest purchase of their entire life. And usually something that does not go the way that most of them thinks it's supposed to.
0: That's amazing. So in other words, you know, one of them, the big bucket for what 3d data can do is to make, allow some level of control and, um, and real understanding of what's happening to a, to a 3d, to a process
1: What's left for ambiguity right I mean I think I think that's the thing right is is if I a hundred percent understand to every choice two story three bathroom you know five bedroom whatever you know a house all the way down to the pottery barn candles that can be ordered digitally because we actually did do that and and back then we um, one of the things that the team I was working on the tech team at the company is is we we're trying to pull the information from the actual appliance manufacturers, right? So we could say, hey, you have this house. You pick the bamboo flooring and all these other different appliances. You've got, you know, six TVs in your whole home. Your calculated energy usage is going to be about this. And then tried to help put that into what a person's mortgage and other things were, depending upon the data that we could scrape. And and then just make rough, you know, uh, ballpark calculations. Now, unfortunately, at the time, we found that U.S. manufacturers of a lot of the products didn't share accurate enough data to make that actually a, a viable thing. But, um, but the idea of, again, being able to go much further to where the homeowner doesn't just say, Oh, this is the house I get, and this is what it's going to look like, but okay. Wow. After a year of living here, this was what I can expect my usage to be for about X, right? Right. Or um, now it'd, it'd be more fun, I'm sure, to just put in basic forms, or maybe even pull from you know what's available through marketing or others, perhaps to see you know how often does this person use Netflix or run electronics or something like that to calculate. One could have more fun with it with the data that's that's made available now, or, or I think um, just asking people. But but again, it goes back to that: what am I going to get? You know, before it's built, you know, how can I control it now? And then how can it help me make better uh, decisions for the future?
0: So where do you, speaking of the future then, that's, that's the kind of the, you know, the reason I I pulled this together is constructed futures. It's the idea of taking people like you who've got a lot of depth in more than one area, but certainly focusing on one area, uh, in this case, you know, 3d data, where do you think this can go? What, what is a vision for you? Where would you like to see what, you know, imagine 2030 or beyond what would this, what would this turn into and how would it, how would it show up?
1: Yeah. Well, you know, I would, I would say, you know, imagine if, uh, if you, you know, had the the right permissions, if you could go to, uh, an experience that would seem much like Google Earth, you know, you can zoom in, um, you know, to your flats, your, your space, and, and then once you get to the street view level, right, um, you can authenticate that you are you and then go into that building right uh, there in your browser, on your laptop, on your phone or your tablet. And, and, you know, perhaps you have uh VR, AR glasses, you can plug that in. And now you're augmenting that space uh, over your real space or you're, you know, walking into the digital version. And once you're in there, you're able to access your space right maybe you've used your phone and and the apps that are even now more uh you know coming out that allow for a very quick scan of your house photogrammetry you know i move my phone around and from the different you know pictures from the camera or the video feed i can build a three-dimensional environment and 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 again you know kind of this idea of of being able to do what you can do in the real world, everything you can do in the real world, if you can walk into your real space, you can walk into the coffee shop down the street and buy a coffee. But if you could do everything in the real world and it's digital twin, um, that's, that's where I kind of have this vision of the future and i think especially in things like now the global pandemic where we can't go outside um but folks still want to go out and explore these spaces you know you've seen even now uh, a rise in certain virtual world platforms or more interest in 360 photography or you know um, matterport scans of uh you know spaces for real estate and and so the the digital transformation that we're witnessing now I think is going to get us there. Um, but, but that's what I see for kind of this vision of the future is it really is about it's, it's the, the real time. And then some, you know, uh, world it's the 3d world part of the World Wide web. And, and because that's not owned, it's not a platform. It's not the Facebook experience or owned by Google, right? Um, it, it is very much what the world is. Everybody owns their, their part of it. Now, like with anything else, I, I do think that some of the the challenges that we have um, that are that are going to be barriers to this type um, of experience are going to be around uh, privacy and permissions, and 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 different countries are going to handle that in different ways, right? I think that as you have some of these folks that are. Um, from a government perspective that are saying, okay, let's create a three-dimensional model of our city. Now, how can we use the city model in ways to help us govern better? Well, anyone can see that depending upon what your policies are or, you know, or what kind of government you are, how that could be, um, you know, the pros and cons for the society, right? In some ways you, you have where, uh, you know, like years back, um, Vancouver, Canada used a 3D city model and ran a simulation uh, for the Olympics to see where would crowds probably gather to watch the fireworks. And then they uh, ran those simulations, saw, you know, where people would go to have, you know, the, the best view. And that's how they made their decisions of where to send out actual police and security during the Olympics. And they found it to be pretty on point. Right. Um, so that's one example of how, you know, this could be used, but on the, the other side of it, you know, you have to think of places where they're very, um, they're very much about, um, you know, policing their, their citizens and others. And so, you know, I mean, imagine then if you had a Google earth type experience, um, where I could go in and then it, it, it is like PlayStation five meets, um, you know, Google earth, but with people on top of it. Right. So I see the three-dimensional model of everyone moving around. That's actually their electronic medical records, right? Or or some form of avatar that I've gotten from a scan of them from maybe just my security cameras that are around, and then I can click on that person and pull up every single piece of information, much like you see in these video games, uh, Watchdog or Watchdogs too. So um, so that's 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 kind of the, the the challenges I think the most are around the security and privacy. You don't want someone that doesn't have the permissions to be able to come in your digital home and maybe scope it out to rob it or something. Right. Um,
0: Well, what's, what's, what cities are you seeing start to, I mean, you talk a little bit about Helsinki, for example, that they've, they've pushed some of this, um, you know, further, further than a lot of other places. What have you seen them, you know, come to grips with some of these privacy questions or are they not there yet?
1: Um, I, I, I mean, it's, it's a topic on everyone's, you know, mine for sure. Right. And, and, and I think that people are trying to figure out the best way to do it. Now, un- unfortunately for me, my observation is that uh, a lot of the, hey, we have a digital world and let's put it up in a way to represent it. It goes into very proprietary platforms. Right. And, and, and that adds a certain element of security, but then also you lose certain elements of flexibility and, and, you know, walled gardens. And, and I think a great example of this is virtual Singapore, you know, here was an initiative to create a digital uh, replica of Singapore. Um, that was uh, essentially led by Dassault Systems. Well, they were the company that, that created this. And so you can go into Singapore, um, the Singapore Land Authority and other uh, government agencies there, use this 3D model to help them from a variety of city planning and other Um, But it's a closed system. If I were, um, you know, a Singaporean entrepreneur who wanted to integrate something or whatnot, I'd have to go and become a vendor of Dassault Systems or, you know, try to get into their closed system or something like that. And that's just not scalable. Right. I mean, there's many problems to this. And this is, uh, I think that, you know, one, of course, is what city, state, nation wants to put all of their data into one platform. And then especially if that platform is not from their country, right? And and uh, this this is um, one of the things that I think is what made it such a challenge for Autodesk. And they had an initiative around some digital cities that they were trying to push and things like this a few years back. And, and they had a few cities that came on board, but it was hard, right? And when I talk to people at the government level, that's mainly the reason is that they say, look, you know, yeah, these things add value, but... You know, it's closed, right? It's it's closed. And if we want something done, we, we can't do it this way. So so I think going forward, um, you know, the way that, that the security and others are going to be tackled is is the web. That's why I'm such a big advocate for the web, is because web has security. We do a lot of things <laughs> you know through yeah. you know, through the web that that are secure. And so let's let's start what's there, right? And and, and as the technology gets better um with web, uh then that is that has always been my challenge also is is how to educate people that yes, you have these proprietary solutions that do offer all of these great things um but this but but the web is catching up quickly right and and you have more control over it and and so so that's in in one part it is the the exposure of what's there, right? People don't know what they don't know. I mean, even to this day, if I ask people, you know, what's the ISO standard for web 3D or what was the ISO standard uh, for virtual reality content? Um, you know, a lot of, a lot of folks don't know. Right. And, and you know, in VR, well,
0: also though the standards aside, do you think some of why, you know, the web is not, not where all this is done is because sometimes it's, it's easier to get the, get it up to a certain level of quality kind of in house and then, move it out as opposed to I mean like I I hate to bring up what might be a sore subject, but you know, trying to make a Web VR standard, a Web XR, it has has turned out to be pretty tough in terms of one that, that you know everybody agreed on. That took a lot longer than people thought, right?
1: Well it it, it takes time. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I think I think with anything it's it's the you're dealing with the, the the personalities and the culture of the folks that are coming in and participating, right? And a lot of these times, these standards are huge companies or big bureaucracies that move it move at a different speed, for sure, right? Um, now, with the WebXR device API and the and the and the WebVR spec, I mean that was one of the what is one of the standards I've seen um, that's moved uh, actually a, a lot faster than some of the other Web 3D standards that that I've seen as far as adoption support and things like that from the browser vendors. So, so to your point, yes, much easier to do in house, much easier just to say, here's an off the shelf solution that does what I need it to do. And here we go um, for the visualization side of it. Right now that is changing because the web is evolving, right? We have things now like web Bluetooth. And again, all of those other specs that I talked about earlier and APIs that are coming out, um, you know, progressive web apps are changing. You know, changing the need to go through app stores, right? Um, even something like what we're seeing now with Epic Games and and how they're approaching uh, Apple and and kind of that funny. I don't know if you saw it that that ad about um, you know Fortnite and Apple. If you haven't seen this, is kind yeah, of, fun of yeah, I did of yeah. Uh, so the, the nineteen eighty four, I believe. Um, the so, ultimate touche. Yeah, exactly right. That was so great. But, but, but that's, but, but, but again, it's, it's, it's all things running together. And that's, that's what I wanted as I saw back in 2000 where the technology was possible, but it was difficult, right? It was challenging. And, and then as we've moved forward, you know, processors have gotten better, you know, all the things that just time solves, right? You know, devices are getting smaller. Computing is getting faster. You know, now you have cloud 5g, all these other things, um, that it's, it's, it's catching up. So I would say that in, you know, five or 10 years down the line, I hope, knock on wood, um, that the web is just the platform. And we're already starting to see that with things like Autodesk Forge or any of these other players or viewers that leverage WebGL or JS at some level of, for, for visualizing 3D data. Um, because uh, the, the downloadable executable is, is no longer going to be needed for the same type of experience um, that, that the web is getting closer and closer now to good enough. Now, it does require different, um, you know, structuring the data in different ways because it's not some huge thing that you can just download. You are pushing this across a web browser. Um, so, so it does internally mean that people have to think about uh, different changes. Um, unless they want to use a lot of these cloud solutions. Um, but, but I myself am a little bit more cost conscious. I try to not be as dependent upon too many, uh, tools, you know, in, in, uh, my pipeline that, 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 that cost, uh, ongoing, um, fees. But with that said, um, you know, I do kind of see that it's, it's the, the hardware software and the times are catching up and, and now it's just more of, um, You know, just kind of where my space is, is a design challenge uh, around how do you find designers, um, web application designers, um, not even industry specific. I mean, ideally, that would be great, right, if they were, you know, specific to construction or healthcare or whatever. But just, you know, a lot of web designers, um, the the web is is still very flat, (laughs) you know, and the only time that you see really 3D in a web page is either... Um, you know, uh, a retail application. You know, here's my tennis shoe, or you know, drill, or whatever. You know, I can spin it around, look at it before I buy it, kind of thing. Um, and and to me, that's that's part of the challenge is is a lot of.
0: Well, let me stop you there. What, yeah, what have you seen an an example of a web page being dimensional that you thought was good? What well, should someone I, go look for?
1: Yeah, I think I think a fun one um, just to kind of show uh, the idea. Well. All right, let me back up here. The for, for 3D and what's fun, I would I would just say go to the 3js.org, uh, I believe it is, website. And uh, let me just double check that real quick. Um, yeah, 3js.org. And there's a lot of great examples there of just how people have used interactive 3D to do all kinds of things, right, um, from... Uh, two-dimensional to music videos, uh, showing buildings, you name it. So that that's a great place to start from what can you do with 3D content. Now, the other thing that's kind of neat is that there's there's a lot of times where it's web 3D, but you don't know it, right? Like, you know, Google Maps is an example of that when you can go into the, the 3D side of it. Um, and, and, and so when the technology is disguised to where people are like, I... Uh, kind of like, for example, when I hear people say, "Yeah, I don't really do AR. I, I, I tried it a couple of times," and then you see that they do, you know, yeah. uh, Instagram yeah, yeah. filters like every day. Right? But that's
0: the, that's um, the dream too, right? Is you, you sort of want people to be using some of these things and not really know they're doing it.
1: Exactly. And, and so that, that to me, that that's when I know I've been successful with, with advocating and promoting the technologies that I do is that people don't care about them anymore. Yeah. Right. Um, and, and, and it's just kind of lost in there. So, so the, the, the two other examples that I would say that are are really fun. Um, there was this one, I think it was uh, Rome.me. Um, but, uh, one, one could find it as just, if you look, it was a really neat music video that came out from, it was a Google experiment years ago and, uh, Rome.me and it was, um, uh, yeah, it was, uh, here we go. Yeah. www.ro.me and it's three dreams of black. And so this was a very neat, um, music video that I think had Nora Jones maybe, or some other people like that. And, and that was a really Uh, Cool use of of the technology because it, it showed you two dimensional video, but then there are elements of it that were interactive. So that that's a neat kind of here's how you can blend 2d and 3d interactive 3d together well in a narrative type scenario. Um, some, uh, an, an experiment that, uh, I like to show people, um, that, uh, shows kind of this idea of multi-device, uh, cause you know, folks want to see stuff that's fun. If you show them something that's kind of utility, they're like, uh, you know, and it's not as much fun. Um, but there's a, a great example. I think if you just, um, look up, if, if one were to just Google search, uh, Toaster WebGL. And then Duck Shooter. And essentially what you'll find is you'll find this WebSockets Duck Shoot um, by this company called Toaster or a group called Toaster. And what happens is, is so you do this on a desktop, you launch the experiment, you get a page that looks very much like a mock-up YouTube page with a QR code. Then with your phone, you scan that QR code it syncs the web page with your phone, and then on the web page on your laptop, you have these little ducks going back and forth. And then with your phone, it shows you flick your finger on the phone screen to shoot a ball at the ducks going back and forth. And then depending upon how you tilt your phone up or down or left or right, it controls how the balls fly up and down and things like that. And so those are just some kind of um, you know web-based examples to kind of show. 2d, 3d, good blends. And then this idea of, of, you know, how can I take more than one device to enhance an experience?
0: That's awesome. It sounds like a hack from a hackathon. So yeah, right. Damon, thank you for, for spending some time with me, talking through kind of how you can see something you feel really strongly about. Do you want to leave with kind of an idea of what, of sort of a summary? I mean, I've heard web, I heard 3d, I heard, um, you know, CNC and some various things how would you kind of summarize how how, the, the, how what you are passionate about will show up in the future?
1: Yeah. Um, definitely the way that, um, our, our interactive space, uh, that that, that we're in. Uh, so either be a, a completely fictional one or, or a real world space, how we can interact with that to bring assets from there into the real world, and then also control that. And that's, that to me is what's very exciting is when we see all of this digital technology connect more with advanced manufacturing of some kind. And, and you're having this cycle of it's built digitally to be brought into the real world, censored in the real world to gather digital information that feeds back into the digital and and that for me is is to constantly see that evolving and and that's that's the most exciting super cool yeah and thank you so much for having me on this is this has been great
0: thanks damon talk to you later Mm -hmm. all right
1: thank you all